Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women, women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. As a preface to the reading today, I'll just say sometimes I forget how much much violence there is in the Bible. So this passage, as I'm stepping in to read it kind of last minute this morning, I'm like, oh, there's just like a lot of I just want to name that, that it feels, I don't know, it feels a way, it feels a certain way. So I'm sure Dan will, will bring some, um, some good words for us out of it, though. So I'm just going to read it and let it sit there. Acts 16, 16 through 34. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and they are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or to observe. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them secure. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all in here. The jailer called for the lights and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. 
he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he as and his entire household rejected, reje rejected, rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Kara. Uh, before we start digging into this passage today, uh, I do want to make mention of the fact that there was yet another horrific tragedy this week. And I'm not going to get into the politics of it here today, but the peace and the shalom that we all seek in this life and in this world was disturbed in a way that almost defies explanation. And so I just want to take a moment as we sit here in this place together as a community, can we just take a moment of silence and pray for the victims and pray for their families and pray for everybody in Uvalde that was affected so deeply by that shooting. Would you join me, please? Amen. Thank you. And as we're offering up prayers, um, for those of you that keep track of this sort of thing, Pastor Allie was supposed to preach today, uh, but she found out during the week that she had lost her grandfather. And so she's on the way out to somewhere in the West Nebraska or Colorado, I guess it is, uh, to be with family for that. So if you say a quick prayer for her, uh, I'm sure she'd appreciate it too as she deals with her own family tragedy. Um, and so I found out Wednesday that I was going to be preaching which normally would induce high amounts of panic and anxiety to have that short of a period of time to prepare. Except I knew what passage she was going to be preaching from. And when you have a verse from that passage tattooed on your right arm, you probably should be ready with a sermon to talk about that passage, right? Right? Of course. Of course. So what I want to do is I want to tell you the story. I want to tell you why I have that passage tattooed on my arm. It's Acts 16.31. All right. Sorry. You can't see that far? 1631. 1631. And I'll tell you why I have 1631 tattooed on my arm. And several of you know bits and pieces of this story. Some of you, my mother is here, knows this story in full. But it's always good to review. And what I'm hoping is in telling you this story that there'll be something for you in it as well. And it's not just solely about me. So I grew up going to a Catholic church. And as a young child, I was very inquisitive which I'm sure will shock any of you that know me. I had a lot of questions. And God bless the poor Sunday school teachers that were in charge of trying to answer some of those questions. Uh, but there came a point where I heard a lot of, yeah, you just got to believe. And maybe not so much with the questions. God just wants you to believe and just accept what we tell you and don't ask so many questions maybe. That'd be good. And that rankled me a little bit. Because this is a period of my time where I'm starting school, and here's this entire institution that says, no, ask questions. And we're not only going to teach you answers to those questions, but we're going to teach you ways to find answers to those questions on your own. That's what I got at school. And my poor little Enneagram 5 mind just loved that, soaked that up. But at church, I was told, don't ask so many questions. Just, just take it on faith. Just believe. And my mind went, no. No, no, I have questions. And if you're not going to tell me the answer to those questions, you've got to at least explain to me either why I can't know the answer to those questions or how to find the answers to those questions on my own, and they wouldn't teach me that. And so I got into my early teens, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm out. Well, that's what I thought. 
it ended up being a long discussion with the family because, again, I'm young enough at that point where I understand that, you know, if my folks tell me I got to go to church, I'm going to church. But I explained very clearly to them that I didn't get anything out of it, didn't want to be there. I would go if they made me go, but I wasn't going to be happy about it. And, and they were going to know that I wasn't happy about it. And it was a long conversation, and we finally came to the conclusion that I was at a point in my life where I could make that decision for myself, and I was out. I was done. I was gone. I didn't step foot in a church for the next 20, 25 years, except for a wedding or a funeral, which is a great credential for the guy standing up preaching in front of y'all, right? That's awesome, isn't it? What the heck? Right? With a tattoo. <laughs> But what happened was I got to this period of time in coming out of the church and deciding I wasn't, didn't want to be part of it, I developed this assumption that you couldn't be a person of intellectual engagement and a person of faith, that you had to sacrifice one of those things to have the other. And I was not going to sacrifice intellectual engagement because that was a huge part of my personal identity. So guess what had to go? But I got older and I got wiser and I started realizing that a lot of the assumptions that I had made about life were too simple. And I started meeting people who were both pe persons of deep intellectual engagement and pre people of deep faith. And that assumption got challenged. And so I started re-examining it. And I had a very dear friend of mine who invited me to go to church. I initially resisted because I was convinced God would strike the building with lightning and I didn't want to be responsible for frying all those people. She assured me that was not going to happen and it didn't. But I went and saw a couple of different pastors that were absolutely on fire intellectually and in terms of faith and that assumption got blown up. And so I started investigating, and I started reading the Bible with a fresh mind. And I found that a lot of the assumptions that I had been making, you have to understand in this 20 to 25 years, my only exposure to Christianity at that point is what I saw on television. And cable news doesn't exactly provide an entire spectrum of what Christianity is. They like to go to the stuff that makes people mad. And that stuff exists, and it's real, and I don't want to dismiss it. But it's not the whole of Christianity. And it certainly wasn't what I found in the Bible when I started coming back and reading it with, with a fresh mind. So as I started investigating, as I started digging into it, I found all kinds of amazing stuff that I already kind of was on board with. And I found that I agreed with a lot of what Jesus taught, and I, want, and I found myself compelled to follow this man. But I couldn't quite get over the hump yet. I was kind of on the fence. There was a lot of things I liked, but I thought I had to have a lot of those questions that I talked about, I had to have those answered. I had to have the boxes all checked before I could say, yes, I'm in. And then I heard a sermon, which actually wasn't on this passage at all. Ironically, it was about atonement. It was the title of the sermon was, Why Did Jesus Have to Die? But the pastor said about midway through that sermon that why did Jesus have to die is actually only the second most important question in all of Christianity. And the most important question in all of Christianity, which he came to at the very, very end of the sermon, is in Acts, specifically chapter 16, verse 30. What must I do to be saved? And if you look at the answer to that question, which is in Acts 16.31, what it doesn't say is you have to have all your questions answered. What it doesn't say is you have to have all the boxes checked. What it doesn't say is you have to have all your stuff together so that you can present yourself as a fully completed person to Christ. What it says is believe in Jesus. That's it. And I don't know, I had people telling me similar things along the way, and for some reason it didn't sink in. In that moment, the switch flipped. I went, oh, I can do that. And that was it. I was in, in that moment. 
But I realized that Jesus was going to meet me where I was with all my questions, with all my doubts, with all my uncertainty. He's good with that. Let's walk together. Let's talk about it. Let's engage. That's what God wants. But even in that moment, I didn't fully understand what was going on in this passage. Like I said, it's not about a checklist. It's not about dogma and doctrine. It's not about having your stuff all together. Although those things are important. I don't want to dismiss them totally. But that's not what you need to have to present yourself to Jesus. It's not about institutions. We just talked about earlier, right? This is going to be our last service in this room. And this has been a great place for us. And we can acknowledge that. There's been some amazing things that have happened in Genesis in this room. And there have been some things that are smildly regrettable. We're human beings. There's good and bad in everything. I'm looking forward to getting to the chapel. I think the chapel is a cool space. I think having people more together physically is going to be a good thing. Plus, there's a lot of different cool ideas that we're tossing around in terms of how to set it up. I think this is going to be cool. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if we meet in this room. It doesn't matter if we meet down in the chapel. It doesn't matter if we meet in the parking lot. It doesn't matter if we meet in Pam Hack's backyard. It doesn't matter. Because the church isn't about a building. It's not about an institution. It's not about a place. It's about relationship. And that's what Paul's saying here. Believe in the Lord Jesus means accept the relationship that God is offering you. And just follow in that. And everything else we're going to work our way through as we go along. Now, for an introvert, relationship is a four-letter word. But I've come, I can't even begin to tell you how much full circle. When I first became, came back to Christ as an adult, I was, part of what drew me back was this notion of a personal relationship with God, right? Me and God, I could go to whatever church I want, I could listen to whatever preacher I want, I could read whatever I want. It was me and God, and that was it. And now, I know the whole time God's sitting there scratching, saying, oh, I'm okay, if, if that's what gets you back, Dan... I'm just happy to have you, but you're going to run into this community and you're going to figure out real quick that it isn't just you and me. It's you and me in community with other people, in relationship with other people, and it's actually that relationship that's the key to everything. Because when you get it backwards, when you start putting institution or buildings or rooms in front of relationship, things go horribly, horribly wrong. And that's the other big story that was in the news this week. The Southern Baptist Convention, who thumbed their noses at the Catholic Church over and over again as they had their sexual abuse scandal and are still reeling from that, produced this week a document that was 205 pages long with over 700 names of credibly accused pastors, clergy, and members of the church that were credibly accused of sexual assault. And they'd had that list for years. And they knew it. And they did nothing. Because they put the institution ahead of people. Because the, even in the looseness of that kind of institution, didn't have the uber-hierarchical structure of the Catholic Church, but even in that loose confederation institution, there was a lot of money. And there was a lot of good going on in the world. And if we, if we take down one pastor because he's done this thing, are we going to lose the ability to use all that money and all that good in the world? And doesn't, isn't that the most important thing. You can see the trap. A friend of mine says, the devil never tempts you with a bad idea. You can see the trap there. 
We have to do all this good. We have to keep doing all this good. We can't let that, you know, be distracted by this thing. But you see what happens. Suddenly, these people that are, are bringing up allegations of abuse, these victims, are being shunned, are being shoved to the side, are being told to be quiet, are being told that they're actually... One of the leaders actually said this was an attack from Satan that this person was bringing up that they had been abused. That's what happens when the institution comes before relationship. And that's the trap. And it's a trap for every Christian everywhere. And we have to be aware of it. Because we've lost our way when we start putting the church, the room, the building, whatever, in front of actual relationship. When Christ came... And people talked about institution. No, we got to, you know, these are the rules. We have to follow the rules. He, no. No. He went to the people that the institution shunned. That's who he hung with. When he was asked by the institution, what's the most important law? There's 613 laws in the Old Testament. What's the most important one? And this story is in all three synoptic gospels, so you know how important it is. In classic Jesus fashion, he didn't give one answer. He gave two love how he loves poking the bear. I really, really do. But it wasn't just a poking the bear. It was the reason that he gave too when he's asked what the most important law is. The first thing he says is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And that comes out of Deuteronomy and the Shema. And the second thing he says is love your neighbor as yourself. That comes out of Leviticus. And it wasn't just about poking the bear, although I still cling to that because I love it. But it was about the fact that those two things are inextricably linked. If you have a loving relationship with God, if God is pouring love into you and you are truly accepting it, you can't help but pour that out to other people in loving relationship. If you're going to be pouring love into other people, we don't just generate that all on our own. Guess where that comes from? It's from God. You don't get to do one in its fullness without the other. It's about relationship. Well, the most important thing when Jesus is asked what's the most important law, he talks about relationship. Not a building, it's not an institution, it's not anything like that. It's about relationship. Jesus says in John's gospel, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. We demonstrate following Jesus through loving relationship with each other. Period. Not how big our congregation is, not how fancy our building is, not how many how many dollars we're able to send to other places and help other people, and that's all wonderful things. But that's not how we show that we follow Jesus. We show how we follow Jesus through our relationships with each other. And the very second that we let anything else, any of those other things, become more important than our relationships with each other, we've lost. We've fallen into that trap. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your whole family, does not mean build a big church and with a ton of membership and you know, get it online and get a bunch of fancy social media. It's all good stuff. That's not what that means. It's not what that means. It means be in relationship with Christ. And if you are in relationship with Christ, you will naturally want to be in relationship with other people. That flow is unstoppable. When you understand how much love God pours into you on a day-to-day -day basis, you can't help but let that overflow in other people. Even an introvert can do it. I know. I've seen me do it. It's not easy, but I do it. 
because I feel compelled, because it's what Christ asked me to do, because it's what Christ modeled in his ministry. Everything he did, everything he did, he did out of loving relationship. Paul says in his letter to the first Corinthians that you can have all the spiritual gifts you want. You can teach, you can preach, you can prophesy, you can speak in tongues, you can do all the things. But if you don't do them in love, then they're a noisy symbol, I think he says, a noisy gong. They're nothing. Love is at the center of everything. In that same letter, he says that faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. Because love is at the center of everything God does. Love is at the center of everything Jesus asks us to do, including being in relationship with each other. It's everything. Believing on the Lord Jesus is not about institutions and buildings and rooms. It's about relationship. I don't know, I said this a few weeks ago in a sermon, I don't know what's going to happen to Genesis going forward. I don't, I don't know. I don't. But whether the institution survives or not is almost irrelevant to me because the relationships that I've built with you all, that's the thing. That's the important thing. And if we survive as a community, great, that's awesome. We can continue to build relationships with new people. That's a wonderful thing. And if we don't, the relationships will remain. And that's really what doing the work of God is all about, is building those relationships and allowing those relationships to spread the message of God's love to everybody that you run into every single day of your life. It is about relationship. Everything is about relationship. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. When, I, when that switch flipped for me and I knew, okay, I'm in, I didn't understand that relationship part yet. I felt good about the fact that I could ask the questions and there would be ways to answer those questions. I spent five years in seminary digging through ways to answer those questions and coming up with all sorts of fancy tools. And if you had asked me going into seminary what the most important thing I was going to get out of seminary was, it would be theology and history and all the facts and figures and the stuff that my intellect loves. The most important thing I got out of seminary is how important the heart level is and how much I need to do work to make sure those two things are balanced. Because if I'm not connected with people on a relationship heart level, then all of that stuff that I know now is just a noisy symbol. It's nothing. It's about the relationship. The spiritual formation stuff that I went through in seminary blow away everything else that I learned. It's not close in terms of what the most important things I pulled out of those five years were. Not close. It's about relationship. Believing in Jesus, following God, is about being in relationship with other people, not just other Christians. We can't throw up a wall there either. That's another trap. My best friend in the world would call himself an atheist, I'd call him an agnostic. We have all kinds of fun battles over what title he actually wears. But I will be in relationship with that man until the day I die because I love him and I love him dearly no matter what he thinks. And it works the same way. I can tell, I can see it in his eyes that there is stuff that I say and stuff that I preach and stuff that I believe and boy, he's really not sure how in the world I could come to that conclusion. But he knows me and he knows my heart and he loves me dearly and I will love that man every day of my life. Because it's about relationship. Believing in Jesus is about relationship.
So the question before us here today is, are we willing to recommit? And it's not just something to do today, but it's something we do throughout the rest of our lives. Are we willing to commit to being in relationship, to keeping that as the focal point, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other? Are we willing to see that connection? Are we willing to invest in that connection? Are we willing to say, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to be in relationship with him and whoever he asks me to be for the rest of my life? Can we do that? Individually? As a community? Can we make that investment? Can we make that commitment? Because if we're going to say that we believe in in Jesus and that's what leads to salvation, it's all about relationships. Every last single solitary bit of it is about relationship. If we get that wrong, then you can list all the doctrine and dogma and theology and all the fun facts and figures you want. They don't mean a darn thing without the relationship. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Be in relationship with Jesus. Be in relationship with each other. Because that, my friends, is everything. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If you find yourself nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you have have any any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.